0: What's up, guys? Welcome to a Couple Nurses Podcasts with your hosts, myself, Peter Fendura, and Matt Slautrick. Hope you guys are having a good day. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Give us the five stars, give us the like, download episodes. You know, keep hanging out with us, guys.
1: Welcome, guys. For those that are returning and those that are new, como estás? We're going to have a good time here today on today's episode, where we're going to talk about food allergies in America and its main culprits of what's causing the food allergies. And also we're going to talk about inducing labor at 41 weeks for being a healthier option for the baby. Correct, BD?
0: Yes, that is correct. There's some research going on that inducing labor might be a little bit healthier than waiting past the 41-week mark for the baby to come out by itself.
1: And this was like a Swedish study that um, took, I don't know how many babies here, but I think the research study was stopped after a certain amount of time because five babies ended up dying that weren't were induced, right?
0: Yeah, that, that's correct. I mean, the study was, the study, I'm not sure, like I said, I'm not sure what the number was. I forgot what the number was, but it basically compared the health of the baby between doing the full labor. So going into post term labor being forty-two weeks and greater versus inducing labor at forty-one weeks. So it's actually studies show that there wasn't any change on a woman's health, though the mom's health at all, but the health of the baby it showed a decrease in things that you would expect from a, a post term birth. I mean post term birth complications aren't super common, but they do occur. So they so the study was just examining if if you know if inducing labor a little bit sooner would have helped out the baby
1: yeah, these people are, are the studies showing that there's a bunch of risks involved with um, having a baby past the forty week mark, and some of them could like um develop infections, they have breathing issues. I think some of the risk factors that we talked over, one of them is being a stillbirth. so that means that the baby just died in the womb spontaneously, and it could be a it could lead to a few things, meaning they're so constricted in where they are in the womb that they have breathing difficulties. Um, they also have Marcosomnia. Which is basically the baby's larger than the birth the birth weight, right? I always get confused. Like OB sucked for me when I was in nursing school. I never could figure out the proper weight of the baby or the should be the average.
0: Yeah, OB was was rougher for, for me too. Just because, um, I mean, I think it's probably hard, harder for the guys for the most part. I did enjoy like the NICU and stuff, but it was definitely harder for me to get that concept in like in my head of of the birth because we don't really go through it then. That's something we're really like taught about like in our life like you know women need to talk to their moms about these kind of things compared to like like a like a son, but yeah, but there is a few like said, risk factors for um long late term birth, and that's, uh, like you know babies can be bigger it just babies they're in the womb bigger, so it's probably getting more more complicated birth, and one of the main issues is that it leads to more c sections, which obviously we know is a is not a natural birth, and I know people are doing like um not like elective c-sections it's like a new trend coming up to where people are doing elective c-sections because it does less damage to like their their sexual organs or for, for whatever reason maybe it's the, it's the pain i'm not sure what the logic is, is is with it but i know there's a big pop in c-sections compared to how much we we're doing like 10 years ago or even like like five years ago
1: it probably is easier for the woman to to give birth i mean technically she's still giving birth but the c-section makes it a lot easier i'm not too sure we should get a A health expert out on on this one. Another complication of that um, having the fetus past 40 weeks is something called post maturity syndrome. So basically, what happens is the fetus starts stops like living, it stops getting the same amount of nutrients that it needs to develop. And eventually, it leads leading to malnourishment because the placenta not delivering the nutrition. So that's another reason why after 40 weeks, it starts becoming a serious thing. And that could lead to complications. And there's also something called meconium, which sometimes leads to having um, the meconium, which is the baby's first um, bowel movement, correct? It tends to um, get put into the lungs and it could cause a serious breathing problem after like a uh, birth.
0: Yeah. So I wonder what the future is going to show because this was like a smaller study. and Of course, it had, had to be stopped due to, you know, uh, babies dying of the non-induced group. So, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure maybe a few more stories that are gonna be done and you never know we're gonna be coming there for like a elective birth instead of like a like natural birth. That'll be interesting to to see down the line for sure. I think do you think it's healthier? Well, for
1: sure it's healthier to have the baby post probably than premature, premi, but I still think that there's a lot of complications based on like what they're saying here. Um C for um complications meaning there's more complications having a preemie baby than a baby that's like postpartum. Um
0: oh, yeah, yeah the complications for a prewatch baby are like a lot more drastic than, than it is like a like a post-term baby. Like these these issues don't happen very often, but these they're still kind of prevalent. But yeah, for preterm labor, like your your baby's not even ready to come out. So obviously that's gonna be a lot more significant, especially like I know a few weeks leading up to the 39 week mark and a 40 mark year, you know, baby just starts to fully have its own own heart and especially lung, lung issues, I think are the main issue for, for preemie babies. So lungs and the heart are still developing, you know, by 38 and 39 weeks.
1: And it's also interesting how like, you know, when we run codes in like the hospital for regular patients, usually they're related to like um, heart things or respiratory when it comes to kids and like, Infants, not infants, specific, but for PEDS patients, when they come, when it comes to coding, usually they're always related to um, respiratory issues.
0: Yeah, I have, haven't done with any any kids and since clinical, so I'm not sure. What are the youngest uh, people you've had on your unit, like in in California and in um, Lagrange, or in your other hospital? Sorry.
1: Well, in Cali, we don't have any PEDS at all here, so I think when it came to me working at Lagrange, I think the youngest one's like 15. And it was just like an abdominal, um, it was appendicitis. So it wasn't anything serious. Like I've never really taken care of a kid, to be honest.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Same goes for me. It's, it's been a you know, pretty long time since we dealt with kids. So we definitely um, need so to get a
1: pizza nurse on here just to kind of talk about the experience about kids and the differences. I would I would really enjoy that because I wouldn't be able yeah, you, to personally handle kids.
0: Right. Yeah. You do have a like a certification where you can deal with kids, don't you? I believe you did it one time.
1: I had the PALS, yes, for the unit that I needed to work out, the PALS, which is uh,
0: pediatric
1: pediatric life support, basically. And was that a hard class to do? It's, it's a little bit more involved. So, like, you know how you're pushing medications, for example, you're giving epi or you're giving different kind of medications for a code. For peds patients, you, like, take out this tape measure, and you're basically measuring the height of the kid. And based on that, you're giving weight-based medication
0: huh that's pretty interesting so it's, it's so a you literally measure. you literally bust out like, like a tape measure and you measure it like while the kid's coding or whatever
1: don't quote me on this one man i might be wrong but i'm pretty sure when yeah. we're in the class because i never ran a full pete's code like a real one but the mock one that's how we were doing it yeah
0: there's there was different protocols basically. okay okay yeah well that, that, that's good to know i guess in okay, case so i have a like someone's Kid code under unit, I guess. But yeah, no. If case. you're I'm probably like four or five years, I haven't had a
1: kid. If you're if you're in Disney and something's going down, they're grabbing an the AED. Be like, someone grab me the pediatric measurement freaking tape. <laughs> and then you could troubleshoot the code. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Let's All jump allergies. In, yeah, let's jump into allergies and that like what's what causes them so for those that don't know a lot about the immune system that are not nurses here at the podcast we'll kind of go into the explaining the nitty-gritty and they'll go into like the um the heavy stuff you just kind of break it down like that when it comes to food allergies we all have an immune system that like fights off infections and anything that's dangerous to us it um basically takes care of business right but when it comes to a food allergy your body is technically overreacting to something that you consumed, and it's causing triggers that actually might be dangerous to you, which are those protective responses. So this is a allergy immune system attack on of your own body, technically, which could cause you know symptoms such as hive, shortness of breath, wheezing. So those are the basic ones and very very standard. Mild. Sometimes your tongue could swell, and then it gets to something more um, serious.
0: Yeah, so the serious one is called anaphylaxis. That's when you actually need to go in the hospital and get that t- taken care of. A lot of times people that have food allergies they carry something called an epipen with them because when you go into an af- aphylaxis, you know, your body just constricts. It constricts your, your bronchioles and you're eventually not being able to to breathe. So you gotta get the epipen to relax your body, which ne- actually is adrenaline, which is kind of opposite of, you know, if you think of relaxing, adrenaline's kinda more like 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 a pump, you could say, but it dilates your your vessels and it allows you to, to breathe again. So why we are talking about this is because food allergies have been on a pretty big rise over the last couple of years, especially food allergies like to peanuts. Since 1997 to 2011, food allergies have risen more than 50%. And in that same time span, peanut allergies have more than tripled in, in children. So we're not exactly sure what's going on and we're not doing anything different to the to the peanuts. And these people are developing these, these allergies and we're not really sure why and what's going on. It's interesting how,
1: you know, cause we were kind of born into like a more European culture from like the way we were raised. It's interesting how we didn't hear about having like a food allergy or like a peanut allergy. I wonder if the way we were raised, what we were exposed to, like the stuff that our parents gave us, um, cause a difference in that where like the friends that we knew didn't have any kind of little allergies.
0: Yeah, that, that's true. Maybe just, just exposure kind of thing. And. I don't know. I'm not sure. My parents ate peanuts when when I was, you know, in in utero, or or what the difference was. Because my parents aren't big fans of peanuts to to begin with. So I'm not. I don't. I can't see them eating peanuts very often. But, but I have no ideas is because is we were kind of exposed to, to like the farm environment when we were younger. Or that,
1: yeah, that's what I'm kind sure of, of getting genetics. Here. Not not so much you know eating peanuts, but just like playing in the mud. Um, Drinking milk that was actually made like directly from like cows, it wasn't like pasteurized, so I kind of liked that. Just little things like that. I wonder if it made a difference.
0: Yeah, yeah, you never know. But I mean, over right now, we'll talk about a few few things. I guess the main ones I found about on the internet that kind of are linking allergies to humans is basically a vitamin D deficiency, gut microbes, breastfeeding, and something called like a hygiene hypothesis too. So. And of course, genetics probably plays a, a giant role in this as well. But we're not really still one hundred percent sure on what's going on. So this is more about optimizing your your health just to kind of have a chance of, of preventing this. And I mean, other sources of vitamin D, you know, oily fish, salmon, tuna, sardines. They're they're also rich in vitamin D. But I mean, sun is is your, is your best option. Of course, you could take like supplements from vitamin D. So I mean, if, if you are pregnant. You should definitely not be deficient in any kind of vitamins, but you should definitely take on your vitamin D, not just for the allergy purposes, but also it helps with the immune function as well.
1: Great one there, Peter. Um, I think it sounds a lot better. I went through like a little lag switch where you're just kind of like going in and out and I didn't hear you that well. So do you want to go into the next one after vitamin D deficiency? I think you covered that one very well. Yeah, I think so as well. He's going through lag. Okay. So the next one that we think is leading to a lot of food allergies is the gut microbe. And there's so much studies. We talked about it in and out. And they're basically saying that not consuming proper like microbe gut bacteria and the gut bacteria gets affected by what you eat. It's like almost like gene regulation. So if you're eating specific foods it's altering your gut microbiome, and it's leading to different kind of things that could predispose you to a possible food allergy. And it's interesting because they did the the Nagler study, the researchers, they were basically helping seeing the correlation between gut bacteria and the development of food allergies. Like they took like infant donors from like cows, they took um mice. So yeah, unfortunately they're, you know, not being ethical to the to the animals. If you guys are against that, sorry about that one. But this study basically took sterile mice, um, got, you know, they injected different colonizations of bacteria and fed them um, different foods and see how they, um, they reacted and how they suffered. And they were linking how there was a specific single bacteria and the bacteria is called Clostridia common class they actually could find in kombucha i'm pretty sure that bacteria had a lot to do with um, certain exposures to allergies and how the the mice got affected
0: yeah true i mean i don't know if they're necessarily caused any kind of uh, animal cruelty to them because these, these mice i mean i'm sure they went on to live happy lives you know but you know mice is mice are the easiest thing for us for us to breed because you know you go at it like crazy so you get like a lot of mice and and we could genetically modify mice i guess fairly easily because they just created a mice mouse that's as a sterile sterile gut um but yeah it's, it's pretty interesting that we actually injected human or baby gut microbes and we inject it into this this mouse and it produces the same allergies so like matt said there's clear indication that gut health has to do something to do with this but the thing is how does that gut health develop how does that gut biome you know get created is it is it due to like the breast milk? Is it due to you know the mom's eating habits? Because this was gut bacteria from from infants from from babies that aren't eating everything that you know ad- adults eat. So now it's like, does the mom play a bigger role in this, or is it just the way the baby's gut gut develops? That's kind of like like the next um, next step for this. But this bacteria, the Clostridia, I think the exact one was anaerostypes, types, uh, Kake. That's what. That's what it's called but they were that actually bacteria was actually linked to um, a different allergy as well not not just peanuts like they did a previous study and it showed that th- this bacteria fought off other allergies as, as well which is pretty cool which means that this clostridia bacteria is probably going to play a key role in developing allergies you know currently or like in the future and this also like gives you the the green
1: light on. Yes, the immune system is not only like systemic, it's actually located mostly in the gut. And we kind of talked about how like 80% of um, our immune system is located in the gut. And this kind of clarifies that where, hey, if you're eating bad, it's causing different food allergies. And when I was coming, when I was talking about the animal testing, I don't know how people feel about transferring gut bacteria from cows into mice and You know, some people are very sensitive nowadays when it comes to animal testing and things like that. So I just gave a shout out on that that one. Um, And then there's also another hypothesis that talks about the gut microbe. And there was a a study, it was like an article from the Genetic Engineering and Biomedical News. And it's saying that the Western lifestyle has a lot of risk factors that exposes us to having food allergies. One of them is being increased on cesarean C-sections. So it kind of goes with um, our health news that we talked about. The other one is the decline of breastfeeding and the use of antibiotics. And for some reason, they quoted smaller family sizes. And and those factors are disrupting the normal microbe in the gut, which is, you know, preparing our immune system for chaos, technically, since we're not being exposed to the proper
0: bacteria early in life. So that has some correlation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... I'm sure they're all, they all factored together, but so far we went over the vitamin D, and then the uh, gut microbes and I mat went over breast milk certain sections and a and family size. So the next one is pretty interesting. It's called the hygiene hypothesis. This hypothesis basically states that our environment has become cleaner, more filled with antibiotics that entirely make the environment healthier and more sustainable. But Affects us negatively and diseases, you know, um, our processes were, were able to just because we're not exposed to as much negative antigen and, and antibodies that we used to do back in the day. It's lagging again.
1: Yeah, bro. I think you need a better okay. internet to be
0: totally honest. Well, so, hygiene uh, hypothesis. Yeah, so that's basically saying that, you know, the fact that we're not being exposed to as much as we used to. Like kids are staying more indoors compared to going outside and playing in like the mud or playing playing sports. That they're not building up as big of a tolerance for for these things as as our parents did or you know our grandparents when they did go outside. You know they went in, outside to play in the snow and the cold. Now when it's snowy, we tend to keep our kids kids inside and they're not exposed to all these things. Same with they're saying same with foods. Like we're not exposing everybody to all these foods because there's so much restrictions on these foods. You can't have you no know, peanuts in certain facilities. You can't have fish over here that you know people are just not not you know exposing their kids to these foods especially now i know on the, over the news a couple of weeks back there was um a family that was vegan and they they ended up killing their when well, they didn't kill them well technically you say they killed them because they're vegan and they fed their child a vegan diet and they were able to get all the nutrients nutrients so the kid actually got malnourished and ended up ended up passing away from from malnourished maybe because they decided to feed the kid a vegan diet instead of like a normal, natural diet that you would, you know, eat every day. So it's just, so this is, is just saying that exposure leads to adaptation, which causes less immune reactions to these allergies, or we know how to properly deal with, you know, peanuts. We don't develop allergies as often if we're exposed to things like that.
1: I like the breastfeeding versus the, um, the formula debate. So we're, we were talking about how early exposure benefits a lot. And I've heard that day in, day out, how it's important to, you know, take the baby after gave birth and lay it on the mom's, you know, chest. And that's all important. And it creates all these like, you know, different neural stimulants for like development. But it's interesting how your, your, your moms or the moms, but the the mother, it it gives antibodies and different immune system function to the baby through the breast milk, which you, you will not get from formula. So there's different immune factors, antibodies, enzymes, and like white blood cells that I'm sure get transferred through the breast milk and it exposes the baby early on to start developing an immune system. Or if the you know, the the mom had like let's just say some kind of infection, your baby already has antibodies that they're gonna receive because of like the, you know, the transfer through breastfeeding. So I wonder if I'm sure there's a correlation. I don't know
0: exactly why. Yeah, I'm completely with I'm completely agree with you on that one. Like I'm, I'm all for you know, breast milk. You don't know, get like those antibodies and antigens the same way as you do with, you know, compared to formula, which is just like, you know, you could, you could say synthetic, like you losing you a lot of natural immune system cells that you get through breast milk. Especially so nutrition wise you get the same amount of nutrition from formula You don't get Immune, a lot of studies show that a lot of immune, like, immune cells are transferred over through through breast milk, and your body is a better immune system if you drink breast milk. So yeah, so now that we went over things that are kind of that you could you know prevent, so you could prevent yourself from getting allergies. Now we really want to kind of go over things you can kind of do with like extra measures you could take to maybe have your child not develop you know these these allergies or if your child does have allergies this may may help them if you want to get rid of them that allergies are, are huge remember when i went to school high school and like grade school i want to say maybe like one out of every seven kids had a peanut allergy i believe or it was like one out of every every 10 where we had designated tables for kids that had peanut allergies because like they were just so prevalent and there was i know there was a time towards end of my school year in grade school where we couldn't bring peanut products at all because could just have peanut butter. and they don't want to risk anything happening.
1: They didn't let you to bring in peanut butter.
0: Wow. I'd be so upset. Dude, I was so upset. I, actually, I didn't like peanut butter as, back then as much as I do now, but if it would happen now, i will be, be, be upset. You'd, we'd, you'd pull out like the racist car. Like, What's is, going like, these, on, guys? I can't
1: bring peanut butter to school. Come on.
0: Get your mom in on strike and stuff. Like, All right. Free to me. What I want? Whatever I want. But so one study that we looked at, it was actually a systematic review. So looked at a bunch of studies um, on food allergies and kind of uh, how exposure decreases likelihood of of these allergies. And and actually, they looked at the maternal antibodies and immune system compared to like the infants and actually showed that breast milk, like Matt said, breastfeeding helps prevent these allergies. But the thing is the mom has to eat like a wide variety diet so your the mom would have to eat eat peanuts to prevent the peanut allergy because that's going to, lead to early exposure and they're also linking placenta a transfer like you know how your blood gets transferred from from the mother to the to the baby in utero through the placenta they're saying that that also um assisted with allergy prevention if the mom ate you know a wide variety of foods in like you know, while having you know um while carrying you to full term
1: what uh, what what
0: what I've um, been doing for myself
1: too, when it comes to like foods and stuff like that, I kind of had like the hay fever here and there when I like um, when April started to like June, July. I haven't had it last year, which is interesting, but I've read what I tried doing is I bought like honey um, and try to eat it or have like a spoon with tea daily throughout winter. And supposedly all those exposures to pollen and everything because of the honey, it led me to be less susceptible to getting like that flare up in like April, May. So technically that that way of me doing it is like the first one that we're gonna talk about, the oral immunotherapy, right? Where I was trying to give myself little doses of the, um, the exposure, which is technically pollen from the honey to help decrease that um, trigger to um, stimulate that reaction. Yeah,
0: my mom actually told me about that. She's like, you know, to get rid of allergies just eat some you know like a tablespoon of, of honey every day you know in the winter time and then when when spring comes you don't get the allergies as much that i've been doing that probably for like a couple of years now and that works i don't know if it for sure decreased my allergies i used to get them almost every year now you know i don't always get them every year maybe every other or every 30 year i i, I get them now but it definitely helped like that was that was a solid solid advice my mom gave me with the spoon of um honey yeah but Real quick, before we go to the oral immunotherapy, I know the American Academy of Pediatrics, at one point, they um, recommended to not introduce peanuts in a diet up until like the age of, I think, seven or, or six. So they were saying that early exposure actually led to developing these allergies. But now they kind of refuted themselves. And they're saying that early introduction of different foods is actually more beneficial than restricting certain foods up until later in life. So, like, now we kind of know that you're better off getting exposed early, uh, earlier earlier than, than later just so you don't develop those food allergies in, in, like, the future. But I know some people are born with food allergies and some people develop them because I know I had uh, this one kid back in school where he wasn't born with food allergies. It just developed, like, at a certain age. I think he was, was like, six or, or seven that he's developed a food allergy for, out of like, legit out of nowhere. And ever since then, he couldn't eat peanuts anymore. So it was kinda, it's kind of interesting to, to see that it's not 100% genetic. But in certain cases, you are born with it, and there's nothing you could you could really do about it. But the oral immunotherapy—that's that's probably one of the more popular ones. Like Matt said, it exposes you gradually to um, the food that causes this anaphylactic reaction, and over time, you're able to get rid of it. I know getting rid of it doesn't happen very often. It kind of desensitizes you, so the reaction isn't as drastic. So instead of one peanut giving you anaphylaxis, you know you can eat a bag now. And take like some anti inflammatory drugs, and you know, you could still be okay. You still get the, re- the reaction, but it's not as severe, and you could kind of tolerate more of those peanuts or that food that was calling, causing that uh, reaction in the first place.
1: I feel bad for the people that can't eat peanuts, man. But um, this is definitely a method that works with anything. You could try increasing your threshold, just like PD said let's go into the next one here, the epicutaneous immunotherapy, if I'm pronouncing that right. And that is like technology similar to like a nicotine patch where you're putting the, the allergen on your skin and you're letting your, the allergen being absorbed in small amounts into your body. And theoretically that exposes the immune system and it changes it to the way you want it to be where you're not getting as affected. I've, I have no experience or any research, but I have no idea if this works that well. Did you look anything into this one?
0: Um, it doesn't work. I mean, yeah, a little bit. It was like like mixed results. Like this is something still fairly new compared to the the oral one. Um, I the one this epi patch thing. It's like a nicotine patch, so it gets absorbed a little, a little more more um, strongly. So, but it's it's still like fairly new. You obviously don't want to you know, give out large amounts of this if you're not still so sure of what's going what's gonna to happen. But as the premise, the same idea as I just like the, the oral one. So over down the future, maybe you put a patch on and just carry it with you throughout the day and, you know, maybe you'll get desensitized from it. I know there's patches too that kind of, actually, I'm not sure if, uh, this is something super new where you put a patch on and it kind of makes you less allergic to to this, uh, this food. I'm not sure if it has like some kind of like adrenaline in it. But there was a patch where you can and you, you eat a little bit of the, that you're allergic to. So I don't know if it's like a low dose of, of you know, of adrenaline or, or epi in there. But that was actually also, also something that I looked up online. It was, it was pretty cool. Maybe it has something um, called the anti-IgE medication. Hmm. But, I
1: said maybe, maybe it has a little bit of like antihistamines on the patch, which, you know, that's how I take my medication usually. Like I used to have such bad flare-ups of like the, um, the hay fever. Where my eyes were just completely puffy, man. And I bought like the anti, um, the anti immune, anti, anti histamine drops. Bro, that thing sucked my eyes dry like a mother, man. Could barely see anything out. Like when I went to work or like when I was in school, I felt every single blink in my eye, man. It just dries up your eyes because, you know, t- technically you make tears, right? But anti histamine blocks all those, um, all those um, activities. So technically the opposite of having, you know, watery eyes is dry eyes and boy, it was dry. So I, after like a a season of those eye drops, I couldn't do that. Was it worth it though? I mean, I was able to see better. Like my eyes were so puffy sometimes and swollen and, you know, you kind of itch yourself in the short term. Yes, it was worth it. But honestly, man, your eyes were so dry. I I can't do that again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I haven't, I don't really do antihistamine drops very often. I just, you know, I just deal with the, with the, with the T R I. but for my issue, I don't really get T R I. It's more of me, me sneezing. And what he knows, that's, that's what kind of, you know, it gets me into in allergies. But so for the anti uh, IgE medication, the IgE uh, immune cells, that's the one that's, res- that's, the one that's responsible for those NF like three, that's the one that's responsible for these allergies. So it's actually pretty cool. They don't have, um, Medication yet for people that have food allergies, but they do have one for for asthma. It's called uh, Zolar. I'm sure you guys have are familiar with it. But it's actually an anti-IGE antibody medication that's approved to actually treat and prevent moderate to severe to asthma. So, like this is definitely something in the right direction. I think Zolar has been out on the market for a while, so maybe the next step would be would be making something with with food, and that would be pretty cool. Just taking like a like an injection every so often and not being allergic to to a food or Not getting as severe reactions, instead of you know doing the whole oral you know therapies therapy stuff where it, that takes years and years compared to like a one shot sub Q every so often. And these are the same
1: antibodies that are given to um, the IgE. Those are the same antibodies that are given to people with um, myasthenia gravis, I believe, where the immune system is kind of attacking itself. So you're replacing the the immune system to kind of not be as um, as sensitive to what's causing you to have these like autoimmune attacks.
0: Yeah. So we'll see what happens in the future. This is something also new that there is a few studies with this in, in food, but not enough to make like a solid conclusion, but it does work with, with asthma. So maybe next 10 years down the line, maybe we'll, we'll think of something, maybe someone's going to get a sub injection for the peanut allergy compared to not eating peanuts anymore.
1: And I ca- I'm looking at all these like therapies and, Everything is basically trying to treat the symptoms of your immune system, right? And I know we kind of talked about different things that are causing the immune system to like flare up. But yeah, like people have to start taking a look at like, are you eating these foods that are causing this to happen? Like, what's causing your immune system to be so inflamed and like not be communicating properly? Because that's all it is. Like, your immune system is technically. Not communicating right within itself and it's causing these flare ups. So, why is your immune system not talking properly, man? That's the million dollar question a lot of people can't answer. I don't know if it's from household products or the stuff that you're eating or is it the oils that we're consuming um, so much. We got to get some doctors on a man ASAP here to talk about this. I think PD might be going through some lab. Yeah,
0: but I guess we'll leave you off with like one tip yeah so we'll leave you off with with like one tip because I'm not sure why this life is going on but for so for the most part, try to expose yourself and like your your kid to as much food as possible. I mean they're not gonna know how to deal with it unless you know they get they ingest it into their body and you know your your thing might be better off if your kid is reduced to something better often they will get sooner than later compared to you know them being you know in like their like six year old's picnic and then they have a peanut and then you know they're going on uh, an aphylaxis reaction at like a the park instead of you know at home. So, yeah, try to expose yourself and your kids to, to as much variety of foods as possible. And, you know, make sure your gut's healthy. Make sure you're taking enough vitamin D. full acid is also very important for, for pregnant women.
1: And I think that summarizes it very well. And get, get that physical activity. Get that bacteria flowing properly. Take a probiotic if you have to as well. I don't know if you mentioned that one. Or consume things that have high probiotics like um, greek yogurt and your milks i don't know if people are dairy free just depends on your take i like my almond milk but that's a great summary pd you want to wrap up the show
0: yeah well i mean i think we just wrapped it up already but i see the the sun's going on on your face it is so man is getting, getting it's embedded. hitting me right there <laughs> yeah, like three lines right there in the yeah eye. and then our, our, i'm not sure how long this lad's gonna be going on so i mean we'll probably just end there. hope you guys have a good day. If you guys have any questions, let us know. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Check us out on YouTube for any of this information that you guys want to look into. It's all available on, on our show notes. I know it was a little laggy, so feel free to go more in-depth into the studies. They're all on the show notes. Everything's on the show notes, guys. So just stay with us. Come check us out. See you next Friday.
1: Smash the five-star, guys. Have a great day.